Welcome to Conversations About Life. My name is Will Jackson, and I had a conversation today with Jimmy Hussey. I used to run into Jimmy at wedding receptions because I was a wedding photographer, and Jimmy was and still is a DJ, and he has um, served as a DJ at over 1,500 weddings, and he does a, a wonderful job. And we talk in our conversation about Jimmy's growing up experience. Um, his uh, He was the youngest of nine children. He was a drummer, and he was involved in working um, bands at a young age. We talk about um, his struggle with alcohol. And I think Jimmy had some insightful things to say about that. And then we also talk about his own um, spiritual beliefs and uh, his own personal um, ambitions for you know personal growth and things like that. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Well, it's really good to be here with you, Jimmy. Thank you, sir. And I've... Um, I remember seeing you at weddings when I was photographing them, and you were the DJ, and it was always nice to run into you. Likewise. And, and it's just been a while since I've seen you, since I've been out of the wedding scene. for and the, and the wedding world has missed you. <laughs> well, for thanks. sure. Well, thanks. Well, um, so how have you been lately? I am busy. Uh, still DJing full-time, mm-hmm. uh, weddings primarily. I do some yeah. corporate work, about 50 to 60 a year. Mm-hmm. And between that and just trying to maintain a, a work-life balance, you know, it's it's amazing how fast every year flies by. None of us are getting any younger, unfortunately. So what what is it that you enjoy about uh, DJing? It's obvious you enjoy it a whole lot. So what what's the main thing that you really like about well, it? Well, probably my, my main focus is really bringing joy to people through music, mm-hmm. which... Um, it's hard to describe without actually seeing it. You know what I mean? I think I get people away from their problems, um, away from the harsh realities of the world and life, and just to go out and have fun with their family and friends. And, and seeing that joy and kind of being the driver of the joy bus, I guess is how I would put it, it's kind of a neat feeling. You know, So mm-hmm. I really love that. I have a, a plaque uh, on my wall that says, Music is what feelings sound like. Hmm. And for me... That's really sums it up. Music is very subjective. It's it's something to each individual person. So finding that within them and hitting upon it and touching them in that way, it's just a very rewarding thing for me. So I would say that you know, that's really the the big picture of uh, you know all the other things that go along with playing music for people. You know, it's not just the wedding elements and all that. It's it's really the the actual you know affecting someone's life in a positive way. I think is you know via music is the vehicle to do that. Mm-hmm. Sounds complicated, I know, but no, that's really where my heart's at. And I can kind of relate to um, the pleasure of like bringing people together and like col- collaborating that, where people are interacting with one another. Believe it or not, uh, we kind of got into country dancing called contra dancing a okay. few years ago, and uh, I organized some dances out here in Barnhart, and it was just a neat experience bringing people together where For they're sure. interacting with one another and things Absolutely. like that. Absolutely. And, and when you can get people having fun and get them out of their element, which is our structure of the day-to-day, it, you see the joy in their face, you know, and, and you've taken them away from the problems for a while. And to be the orchestrator of that, to me, is really a, a rewarding thing. And that's probably what you're, it sounds like you're describing. Right. And good for you for doing it. You know? <laughs> the world needs more of that. Well, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to just getting to know about you in ways that I don't. So let's start with what's your, what was your growing up experience like? Yeah, well, I thought it was normal. <laughs> uh, if you got to know me, you would probably not think so. But, you know, I think we're a product of our own environment. So whatever we experience, we feel like that's the norm. And then as you grow older and you see other people's families and their dynamic and their structure, you realize that, yeah, maybe it wasn't normal. Maybe it was crazy. So until I joined a rock band, which was at the age of 13, I I thought it was pretty normal. And then once when I joined a rock band, then my life became pretty crazy because I was like a local rock star at a very young age. 
And in this day and age, it would be really bad because, you know, you're, you're, if you can envision being in ninth grade and being out playing in a bar in a band, you know, that's unheard of in, you know, this time and age, because mm-hmm. it would not be allowed, you know, and it's not accepted and kind of, you know, rightfully so. But back then, when I grew up, it was okay, you know, and, and my teachers were like, oh, did you work last night? I was like, yeah, you know, I was playing in the band, I was in a bar, and they're like, okay, and they just looked right beyond it, you know. So it was really kind of a, a crazy life, um, and I don't know that I would recommend it to anybody who has a child that they'd be out in bars working at that age, but um, I was musically way ahead of my time. So the guys in my band were five to seven years older than me, mm-hmm. and uh, I was a really good drummer. And so I was very blessed to be able to play in a band, in a working band. And, and for me, it was a job. You know, I was making money. Mm-hmm. But you're exposed to an environment that you're really not situated to handle. You know what I mean? At, at that age, basically. Hmm. So yeah, it wasn't horrible. But again, I, I, you know, I thought it was normal. You know, but now that I'm older, looking back, it was not even close to normal, hmm. <laughs> for sure. So were you involved in drumming in your school too with like the jazz band and stuff like that as well? Yeah. So I, I, you know, I started, um, my brother started playing drums in sixth grade and Mm -hmm. I fell in love with it. I was in first grade, so he was five years older than me. And, uh, so by the time second grade rolled around, I brought my drum set into show and tell. And then by the time I was in sixth grade, they let me play in the junior high band. And then when I was in junior high, they let me play in the senior high band. And I was in jazz band and concert band and, uh, hmm. I did solo performance, and, and so, yeah, so I really kind of excelled at drumming. It was just my, my mm-hmm. niche, you know. So it must have been, like, felt really cool to be in school and to be in a rock band, a working rock band, and to be, well, and just to be known as the drummer of the school and everything, it, was it? It, it was. It was, um, it, well, you know, like my senior year, I was voted most talented, hmm. which in my mind, there were so many more talented kids Mm-hmm. Um, one of my fellow classmates has just been recognized in all of his uh, accolades for working on a cancer cure. Hmm. And I think of him wow. and how sharp he was, you mm-hmm. know, um, he was way more talented than me. I could just play drums, you know, but, but yeah, it was, it was fun. It was very exciting. And, and, uh, you know, everybody thought I was like so great and really was just okay. <laughs> I wasn't as great as everybody thought I was, but it was, it was fun. So what was your home life like? So home life, um, you know, my, my parents um, accepted me being a drummer. They let me be a drummer. And, uh, you know, but they had rules which were, I'm going to school every day, you know, mm-hmm. that uh, you have to be on the honor roll, you know, which I was. I graduated in the top 15% of my class and probably could have done a lot better had I not been out three and four nights a week, but, you know, playing in a band. But still... Um, that part was pretty structured, you know, it was, it was the, the being away from home with people, you know, five to seven years older than you. That was the, the unstructured part, but the, hmm. the day to day stuff was pretty structured. You know, yeah. my, my parents said, you know, you don't play drums unless you do well in school and yeah. you graduate and, you know, straight A's and all that. So did they come see you? Yeah, oh yeah, they did. Yeah. They did. And actually they, they, I think it was out of fright and also out of uh, fondness, you know, cause they yeah. knew it was something I was very passionate about. Yeah. For sure. You know, when you're just listening to music for enjoyment, what do you tend to go to? My personal preference would be probably 80s rock music, which is 80s. what I okay. grew up on. And, right. and and actually probably some 70s stuff, too, because mm-hmm. really, like I said, the musically I was ahead of my time. Mm-hmm. So I'm the youngest of nine, and all my brothers and sisters. Wow. Yeah, big family, right? So um, I was probably listening more to their music than my own as mm-hmm. an early influence. So I graduated in 1983, mm-hmm. but I would say the, the big rock bands um, that you don't really see anymore, like Styx and Foreigner and Kansas mm-hmm. and Rush and bands like that were just big rock bands, you know, back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, Journey, mm-hmm. uh, you know, those were my big influences. So if mm-hmm. I could just sit and listen to stuff, mm-hmm. um, that would probably be my favorite. But mm-hmm. as far as what I like, yeah, I mean... I'm all over the board, you know. I, okay. My wife and I went to Hawaii to get married, for instance, and I fell in love with Hawaiian music, which is very <laughs> soothing and very relaxing and mm-hmm. um, nothing like rock music whatsoever, you know what I mean? And, and I also mm-hmm. enjoy, like, string, like string quartets and things like that. So mm-hmm. I'm pretty diverse um, yeah. in my music, but, 
you know, the rock and roll is my roots, you know, of, of yeah. all types for sure. Do you in, like, um, is it Neil Peart? Um, yeah. Neil, is that his name? Yeah. Peart. Neil Peart. Rush. Peart? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> amazing. Yeah. And, um, drummer and I think, uh, the songwriter for a lot of the music, right? Yeah. He, lyrics. Lyrics. Yeah. 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 So he was their lyricist, very smart and, uh, yeah. Very talented, very gifted, mm-hmm. um, an amazing drummer. Definitely one of my favorites. I recently met um, Todd Zuckerman, who is Sticks, uh, drummer of Sticks, hmm. and um, I'm part of a 26 week course that he is teaching online, hmm. um, which is very neat because even though it's taped, we interact uh, mm-hmm. online. But I got to meet him here in St. Louis about a month or so ago, um, doing a master class, which was 15 people and sit across the table from him one-on-one and have him correct me on my, you know, holding sticks and things like that. And uh, it was just kind of surreal, really, to know mm-hmm. that this guy plays concerts for anywhere from yeah. twenty to 50,000 people a night, but yet I'm sitting, you know, and he's kind of my drum idol, you know, I'm sitting across from him and yeah. he's coaching me personally. So it's uh, very, very cool. Does he still perform? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're right now, um, I follow him quite a bit um, mm-hmm. on Facebook and other platforms, but He's in Europe right now traveling. And, and the neatest part about it is he makes himself accessible to the people who, like myself, you know, that are really into his playing and drumming and all that. And just a very humble man, very generous of his time hmm. and kind enough to do these things where most people wouldn't. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? They wouldn't take three hours out of their way to drive from their last city to St. Louis to make a stop on to Indianapolis to sit with 15 drummers who care about trying to be better so it's very neat very cool yeah and was he the drummer um, back in the day with tommy shaw and you know back in the late 70s and early 80s so he so their original drummer um (laughs) died unfortunately and and todd then was next in line and he's been with them now like 20 years but um uh John Panazzo and Chuck mm-hmm. Panazzo, the bass player, brothers. Mm-hmm. The drummer was John, Chuck, okay. the bass player. Mm-hmm. And they were the you know part of the original founding members, Dennis DeYoung as a singer. And so the core group of that band still exists. Um, Dennis DeYoung kind of went on to do his own thing. And then Sticks still travels as Sticks. Um, but... So Todd's been with them now is 20-something years, so I think most people, unfortunately, don't remember John, the original drummer, as I do, because that's when I fell in love with him. But, um, but certainly um, also a very talented man, and, and uh, I know Todd thinks the world of him and, and is very gracious in his being able to step into that role and, and have it, you know, and he mm-hmm. doesn't take it lightly. He's, he's truly one of the most awarded drummers in the world you know so he truly tries to be like i'm not just accepting this job i'm trying to make it as good as i possibly can and that's the neat part about watching somebody like that play is the passion for their work Hmm. um i would probably equate that to you working with a photographer that you know you've loved and admired for years and you just see how much even though they've received all these awards and they're so great and all this stuff that they're still out there every day doing what they have to do and doing it to their best or, or trying to be even better Mm-hmm. which is his kind of thing. He's like every day, you know, try to be better, you know, and work yeah. harder. Well, I've heard you mention and so, so years of sobriety and, and celebrate that. So I assume that you've struggled with alcohol in your past or addiction to alcohol. Um, is that right? Or can you tell us uh, a little bit about that? Oh, absolutely. 100%. So my sobriety date is March 12th of 2001. And and how that basically works, meaning my last drink was March 11th of 2001. Um, Very grateful and, you know, blessed to be able to say that, you know, 18 years later, I'm I'm sober, you know, not a drink. Um, You know, I think the struggle is really with the family and the friends who witness a person, um, male or female, that they love, care about, that is displaying these characteristics of mm-hmm. being an out, al- you know, an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Most people's vision of an alcoholic is very dark because they don't really know, they don't really understand what it is and how it works. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think for them, really, the the struggle is is why is this person doing this? Because they just don't get it. You know, um, the theory behind it is. You know, one out of 10 people, when they ingest alcohol, will develop a craving. Now, I have to accept that I'm one of those 10. Now, those other nine that might be sitting next to me, they do not experience that. 
Mm-hmm. So when I ingest alcohol, I now want another drink. Mm-hmm. So now that I've had my second drink, now my craving intensifies. So now I want another drink. Hmm. And so now that I've had three drinks, my craving is even next level, you know, and that's the way it keeps working. So if you've ever seen anyone who is truly alcoholic and most have 10 drinks later, they're like, bring it on, let's go, mm-hmm. you know, and you're like, wow, that's crazy. Why are you doing this? You know, you're, you already can't talk right. So, I mean, that impairment doesn't even come into the role play of the mind of an alcoholic. All they know is their craving is intense and they need more alcohol and that's the addiction Hmm. and the three best words to describe addiction is cunning powerful and baffling and it is truly all three of those you Hmm. know so to to say that i'm sitting with you today sober 18 years later is truly a gift and a blessing because there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people afflicted who will never achieve sobriety unfortunately Hmm. And whether that's an addiction to alcohol or drugs or sex or gambling, you know, that they just don't get there, you know. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, it is a it is a big thing, but um, very blessed to be sober for sure. Yeah, I've heard um, psychiatrist um, Jordan Peterson um, mention that um, people who struggle with alcohol, it normally um, alcohol for them normally energizes them where it's. It's like a depressant for many people, but for some people, it's like kind of has that opposite effect on them sometimes. And for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and like I said, the struggle was, I mean, I never felt a struggle. I was like, let's go. I'm having fun. You know, I'm having a blast, you know, and, and the, uh, for other people, no, it doesn't, it really doesn't affect them that way. And, and it truly is a depressant, you know, mm-hmm. and, it, and it does have that effect, whether you believe it or not. You know, I mean, usually the person drinking doesn't believe it, but it affects your brain very much so and it is clearly a depressant and and a lot of people get clinically depressed and then um as the level of uh consumed alcohol and you know increases intensifies then of course that your brain functions start to fail even more and more and more and more back in the day um there was a lot of what they call wet brain which means people drank themselves into oblivion they couldn't even think or function Mm-hmm. Um, and they were considered low bottom, meaning your bottom is the lowest, you know, before you either die or, or make a change. Um, now, many alcoholics are considered what they call high bottom, meaning um, you can still be successful. You can still have your job. You can still have your wife and your kids, um, although many people don't. They lose all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can because there's help available, you know, and it's free. And all you got to do is seek it. Um, if you don't seek it, like a drowning person would need a life preserver, mm-hmm. you probably won't succeed, unfortunately. I mean, you really got to want it. And that's that's the biggest part for any person who has an addiction that wants to make a change. They really have to have that just heartfelt desire to make a change in mm-hmm. their life. It's huge. What was um, alcohol like in your family? Did your family have a good relationship with alcohol or do you have family members who struggle with this as well? Yeah. So, um, with my family, everything was a party again, being the, uh, youngest of nine Irish Catholic, a lot of Mm. beer drinkers. Mm -hmm. Every time we got together, there was always alcohol. And Mm. so that's how I grew up. You know, that's, I was born into that world and it's like, Hey, a birthday, it's alcohol. If it's Mm -hmm. a christening, it's alcohol. If it's, you know, Sunday, it's alcohol if it's tuesday it's you know whatever you know it's like we got together we played volleyball we there was alcohol we got together we played horseshoes there was alcohol it was a thing and and it wasn't that anybody was necessarily crazy or wild or you know out of their mind it was just that it was a part of life Mm -hmm. um the theory with alcoholism because sometimes people think oh it's a genetic kind of thing and they haven't really proven that but what they have proven is that if you are in an environment where you are surrounded you know by those types of people, you have a propensity to engage in that behavior. Mm-hmm. If your family all smokes, you might smoke. You mm-hmm. know, if your family all gambles, you might gamble. You know, mm-hmm. if your family all drinks, you might drink. Mm-hmm. And that part of it is very well known and very well structured. So there is a, a, a line of you know alcoholism, and, and there are family members. My mother, um, her father. Uh, you know, so so it. I have brothers, you know, who who also were alcoholics. So I think part of it is the behaviors are related to your environment, 
mm-hmm. you know, um, those who work in bars and nightclubs and constantly surrounded by alcohol, same kind of thing. You know, I mean, you, you tend to evolve into that lifestyle and it becomes a part of your daily, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I guess you, you don't realize you're doing it, but, but yet it's still every day. Hey, I'll have a drink, you know, Oh, buy me a drink. Oh, I won't buy you a drink, you know? Mm-hmm. And pretty soon, five years down the road, it's like, why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. You know, but yet it's a part of your life and then you don't make it, make a difference. You know, you just keep engaging in that part of your life. Yeah. And the change, mm-hmm. you know, is the hard part. Being able to change mm-hmm. is definitely the, the struggle for everybody. What would you suggest for a, a family? Because there's like, um, you see, you know, the full spectrum because of some people's um, religious tradition. It might be total abstinence. And then um, you have families like your family where it was just really common. And um, it's, um, I don't know, like, what do you have any, like, um, image of, like, an ideal way to handle alcohol um, for a a typical family, um, knowing that, um, or I guess I'm assuming this, that, you know, there might be some people who have a might have a propensity to um, get addicted to it and other people might not, and and they might not know who that is, or I don't know. Do you have any thoughts about like um, that type of thing? Sure. So if, you know, if you find that um, alcohol is becoming a part of your day, mm-hmm. like your life starts to get planned around what can I do that leads me to my next drink? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, we're going to go out to lunch and maybe I'll have a drink. Or, oh, I'm going out to dinner with this person. Maybe I'll have a drink. Or maybe I'm going to get together with my family and we'll have some drinks. That is a sign that you could be leading, you know, mm-hmm. the wrong direction. When you, when it becomes a part of your daily life or um, when you when you assume that it's normal, you know, like this is just what people do. Because there are a lot of families who do just fine with family gatherings and don't drink. Mm-hmm. You can really have fun without drinking. I've, mm-hmm. I, I lead people having fun every single weekend, and I've done it for 18 years without having a drink. So it certainly can be done, and I, I enjoy that thoroughly myself. But if, it's a, if it affects your life on a daily basis, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the, you might want to look into that and, and start to question why. And, you know, what people don't do is they hide it. Um, I would encourage anybody that feels this way to seek guidance from they're really close friends and say, what do you think about me drinking or what do you think about me gambling or whatever that problem might be, you know, because sometimes hearing the outside opinion is what you really need to hear, not what's going on between your own ears, because we all find ways to justify our own behaviors and, mm-hmm. and make it be okay. Right. You know, and for alcoholics, that's kind of the norm for sure. Mm-hmm. So I would, I would say, you know, the biggest thing is if you can't have a drink, without it leading to another drink think about that right you know and why and why right you know because it's just it's really some people can and some people can't and if Mm -hmm. you can't you need to address it because it's only going to get worse you know the the um in this world they call it the ism so even though you stop drinking the brain still functions on that level most alcoholics who uh, go back out, meaning they relapse. Um, they're known to start drinking at a level of which they would have already been at had they continued to, to, right. to stay drinking. So even though you didn't drink for five years, mm-hmm. your alcoholism intensifies. Mm-hmm. And so you relapse five years later. Now you're drinking five you know, years later more than you would have the year you know, when you quit. So mm-hmm. it just really does intensify. So the best bet is just not to get there. You know, is mm-hmm. to, to notice the problem if you can prior to it happening. But, you know, that's that's right. really a personal call for everybody. It's kind of hard to do. Right. And at this point, if you don't have that first drink, is alcohol a temptation in any way or is it? You know, you know for me, not not at all, really. Yeah. I mean, I have my moments like um, so Sharon and I recently just went on a vacation to Mexico. It was an all inclusive. Mm-hmm. Part of that is your your bar bill right so it's like hey it's all inclusive you can go up to the bar anytime you want you get anything you want Mm -hmm. and you feel like oh i'm not getting my money's worth because of course everybody else is getting drinks and you know i'm losing out here Mm -hmm. the reality is i'm not losing out 
Um, and so for the most part, what I do, if I have that feeling, you know, is I try to focus on uh, the memories of what it was like when I was drinking and what mm-hmm. were the things that I were doing wrong or mm-hmm. not doing whatever you want to, however you want to look at that. But, mm-hmm. or I can go to that bar as I'm ordering a banana smoothie and look at somebody who's standing there ordering a drink, who's slurring their words and being belligerent or obnoxious or, you know, rude or just, you know, whatever, blatantly mm-hmm. intoxicated. And like, I don't want to be that person. You right. know, I don't have to be that person. And I have a choice every day to not be that person. Mm-hmm. And that's really what empowers me. You know what I mean? It's just mm-hmm. to know that, you know, I'm the one who's going to, you know, live this the best as far as the outcome. So I'm the best the biggest benefactor of me being sober is me, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that can only benefit those around me as well. But, but yet that's really the theory is you have to tell yourself every day I have a choice. And today I choose to do the right thing versus going, you know, down a different path. That's going to probably lead to destruction in one form or another, you know, if you mm-hmm. truly are alcoholic, you know? Right. But yeah, I, I, I really don't. I, I'm, I feel very blessed that I don't have those temptations. They're, mm-hmm. they're very few and far between. And I've never acted upon one, so I, I feel pretty good about that. Yeah. You've mentioned that before that you grew up Catholic, and um, so what was that like for you? Um, I'm not Catholic. I like go to. Pro- I'm a part of a Protestant tradition and church. So you know, what's it like in a family that's Catholic or a part of that tradition? Right. So I. Um, I would say my, my family was Catholic. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I ever was. Um, okay. And how that came about was all my brothers and sisters went to Catholic school. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a child. I was acting up. My mother happened to be uh, donating her time for the school uh, in the cafeteria. And I was, um, uh, I think I was swinging or hanging on the, the tray table that, you, you know, you slide your tray down to mm-hmm. get your food, you know, so when the kids come up, you slide your... And I was, I don't know, a little kid. I was six, seven years old. Um, and the priest at the time apparently didn't like what I was doing and physically grabbed me by the arm, drugged me across the room and threw me in a chair, mm-hmm. of which my mom witnessed all of that and was very scared because mm-hmm. um, it was pretty physical. It wasn't, you know, just mm-hmm. a hey, young man, you're doing the wrong thing. It was pretty abusive. Um, And of which then she told my father, and then of which that led to my dad going to the school and pretty much telling the priest that, you know, touching his child was a bad thing, and he probably wouldn't make it to church on Sunday if he did it again. Which Hmm. immediately um, ended my uh, being a Catholic, because at that point he took my brother and sister out of school, um, and then we all went to public school, the, the remaining three of us out of, of the nine. Okay. So, so, um, but you know, I don't have anything against that. Um, mm-hmm. I was really too young to really know anything of it. Um, I was practicing, I guess, to learn how to be a Catholic. Um, mm-hmm. I was working on making my first communion, which mm-hmm. I did not do, but, um, so it was kind of a, a, a drift, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't, you know, so I always say that, um, I'm Catholic non-practicing, I guess is the best way because I was born into that, but I don't really know, mm-hmm. you know, how that feels because I right. never really experienced it on a, on a higher level. I see. Okay. Probably more information than you wanted to know, but that's, no, that's, that's no, how it all right. came about for okay. sure. So did you develop any religious beliefs along the way or do you have any religious beliefs now? Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like I call myself a Christian. Okay. I pray every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe in God. Mm-hmm. I believe that Jesus died so that I may live. And, you know, for me, I I feel like I want to be um, judged for my time here on earth. And that uh, my hope is that uh, I'll be able to make my amends for any misgivings. I still try to do that to this day. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know... I guess my, my view isn't really structured. You know, I just, I believe in a power greater than myself. Um, and I, and I pray to that power every day and I ask for guidance and wisdom. Um, the serenity prayer Mm -hmm. is a big thing. You're probably familiar with that. I would assume, um, which is, uh, acceptance, courage, wisdom, right? So Mm -hmm. God grant me this serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the -hmm. courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Mm-hmm. And so 
meaning finding serenity through acceptance, courage, and wisdom, you know, and, and that is a good way to ground myself. And I do that lots of times daily, you know, mm-hmm. because acceptance of others and their behaviors is, is hard. Mm-hmm. Um, having courage to make a change in your life or somebody else's life is hard, you know. Wisdom to make good decisions and to act upon them in the appropriate times and manner is hard, you know. And, and so for me, that is just a real simple little prayer that I partake in daily throughout the day just to kind of keep me mm-hmm. headed on the right path. Right. You know? So, um, again, I, I don't know that it's a structured religion, but I, but I do, you know, believe and I do pray. And, and I, yeah. you know, I, I'd like to think it's a good thing yeah. for me. Right. For sure. are, you, are you into the Bible at all? You know, I haven't um, really... I, I I would say no. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, to me, if you're into the Bible, you should know it. Um, I do not. Mm-hmm. Have I read from the Bible? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, have I shared, um, you know, in church before? Uh, yes, but not like... I'm kind of one of these people, if I, if I don't do something really well, I kind of don't do it. And when it comes to the Bible, maybe that's a bad call because I probably should be there more often than I am. But... Um, for someone like yourself, who's probably very knowledgeable, I would feel like very inadequate, I guess is what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. I enjoy it. Um, it's just, um, I guess I didn't enjoy it for the first, like for the first 18 years of my life, it didn't mean anything to me, even though I grew up in church and we would uh, memorize verses in order to get prizes. Um, so I guess I had you know, memorized things before, but it just didn't mean anything to me. And then I had like, um, kind of like a conversion experience when I was 18, where, um, I just realized it just hit me that I was just morally disgusting. You know, I was in that place and asked God to, um, save me from what I had become. And there was like a load of guilt lifted from me. It was like a spiritual experience. And, and that's when Christianity just kind of opened up for me, you know, just like, well, this new world I didn't, you know, know about. And um, uh, that's when the Bible started getting interesting to me. So um, it's kind of um, a unique type of thing, I guess, because I don't know if any other book that I could just kind of read a little bit each day and... Um, and not think, okay, well, I'm done with that. You know, I don't need to keep... You know, right. Oh, it sure. still has um, kind of like spiritual um, nourishment to me or something like that. And I, and I agree. And I think that's a bucket that we all need to keep filling, you yeah. know, because I think when you get away from those types of thoughts, you know, then your life tends to go in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's why, although I don't do a lot, the things I do, I think they, they ground me and they keep me... Um, Mm -hmm. on the straight and narrow, I guess is the way, the best way for me to put it. And, um, you know, you said your conversion experience. I, I had the same thing. I used to love to watch, uh, Robert Shuler. There was a morning show on Sunday. It was the hour of power, the crystal cathedral. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the things that, uh, he always talked about was, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I, and that again is part of my daily, uh, you know, prayer and, and just belief. But, um, when I, the actual, when I decided to get sober, I had this crazy dream about, um, somebody forcing a drink on me and I was saying, no, 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 I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want it. And, uh, and, uh, I actually jumped out of bed, you know, and people describe it as like the burning bush kind of feeling. I truly had that. I physically jumped out of bed, landed on the floor. And if I tried to recreate that today, I could not do it. I was about four feet away from the bed. Um, and the hour of power was on and the bells were chiming for church. Uh, it was just a, a, a scenario that I'll never forget. And it was a conversion, like you said, where I suddenly opened up to my life can be so different, you know, and I, I think I finally embraced change and how to bring about that change and how to improve my moral compass and head in a better direction and be a better human in general, which to me, part of that is being a good Christian. And so I kind of look at it in that light, you know, um, I'm not versed in scripture, but I feel like I'm, I'm whole and, and trying to be a good person and doing the right thing. Yeah. 
What's been the biggest influence on you in your life? So, um, I thought about this and there's really been many, you know, mm-hmm. um, my, my parents were a big influence. They, you know, raised nine kids and I'm like, how does one do this? Sharon and I struggle with not even having children, you know, and, and getting through our day. So, um, and just being busy, you know what I mean? Um, so my parents were, were obviously a big influence. My family, mm-hmm. um, again, just having eight siblings, you know, and seeing all their kids and all that stuff and, and how it all works and, um, watching them grow, you know, that's been a a big influence. Music is a huge influence to me. I mean, my life really is music, you know, Hmm. um, all day, every day, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I can never get enough of it. And, um, drums, uh, to me, beats, rhythm, you know, every, every life has a beat, a cadence, uh, whether it's your walk, maybe it's the birds we hear in the background today chirping, you know, they have their own little cadence, their own little rhythms. Um, the cars going down the highway at a speed of 60 miles per hour, it, it creates a sound. Um, all these things, you know, that's, that's to me is, 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 uh, not only music, but in rhythm and, and drum is, is all about rhythm. So um very into the drums. They were a huge, uh, influence. Alcohol, unfortunately was a big influence in my life, mm-hmm. maybe a bad influence, but yet a big, but had it not been for that, I would have not learned all the things that I've learned. So in some ways, mm-hmm. you know, I had to hit the bottom to get me, you know, mm-hmm. moving in the right direction. Um, death was truly um, a big influence. I lost my mother at 23, my father at 30. Mm-hmm. Before I turned 40 years of age, I had buried six more family members. Wow. Um, I lost a brother and a sister four days apart. And... Mm-hmm. Um, totally unrelated. My sister died of cancer and we knew that was coming. And my brother died four days later and we buried him on my birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very difficult, you know, mm-hmm. and, and dealing with the loss of a loved one. Um, and, and with so much of it in a short period of time, you know, and, and, um, to almost being callous to it, you know, cause somebody says, Oh, you know, my, my grandmother died and, and they're, you know, 50 years old and they've had their grandmother. And I think, wow, I never even met my grandmother because she was gone before, you know, I was born. Mm -hmm. Um, but yet, I mean, it, it, the, the good part of that, I mean, I know that sounds dark. The good part about that is you realize how valuable everyone's life really is. And we each have today and this day and, and hopefully many more days. And what we do with that day is, is a big deal now, you know, to me. So, um, I think that's brought about an awareness that, I really didn't have, you know, until you go through those things, you know, the, the longing to have a conversation with your mother or your father, um, or brother or sister, whatever that are now gone. Um, you don't really feel that until it actually happens. It's something you have to live through. And, and unfortunately it's a sad part of life and it, but, but yet it, it does bring an awareness to sitting right here with you right now, you know, us being able to have this conversation, how blessed we are. Um, and the things we do throughout our day that we take for granted that many people won't be able to do, you know, because they're now gone and, or maybe they're suffering from a debilitating illness. So, um, my biggest influence is probably my wife, Sharon. She grounds me. Um, and it's really because of her, I got sober. Um, I didn't want to lose her. Uh, I knew that I had to make some changes in my life and, um, my wife is a very uh, hardworking woman. She's very nose to the grindstone, get it done, task oriented. Um, so I'm, I'm envious of her in ways because of you know how she addresses things and makes it happen. And she's a go getter, and she never lets off the gas. And she's you know she's always out there. Hmm. Um, I'm the lighter side of things, where I'm the one that's interjecting fun. I'm like, yeah, I know we could work, but what do we go? Why don't we go see a movie instead? You know, mm-hmm. so I'm kind of more the date night planner, um, and she's more the driving force. But she's been a huge influence, and I, I feel like I'm alive today because of her. So I'm very, you know, grateful for that for sure. So she she would probably be my biggest influence. So how long have you you guys been married? So 23 years. Okay, and uh, I, I would hope she would say the same thing happily. 23 years, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, you know, it's 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 a it's a journey as as you know you know it's it's not all fun mm-hmm. and games it's a lot of work um mm-hmm. and i've learned a lot in the process you know but but i think it's great because i have i have some really nice conversations with my brides and grooms when i meet with them about 
um, you know, give and take and, and about, uh, you know, picking your battles and, and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's okay to give in and it's okay to, you know, seek help if you struggle, you know, because marriage is not easy, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and if you want it to work, you, you might have to change, you know, because we all jump into this thing and, you know, mm-hmm. five years later, we figure out who those people really are. You know, we don't right. really know. We think we do. And, mm-hmm. But we also find out a lot about ourselves, too. And so that whole process, sometimes you get lost along the way. And then the easy way out is to divorce and run away. And, you know, the, the harder way is to try to correct those things and, and figure out a, a way that which you can coexist and, and do it happily in, in a loving way. And right. um, she still puts up with me, Will. So I'm, I'm very <laughs> blessed for sure. What qualities, um, Jimmy, do you most appreciate in other people? So kindness is probably my favorite. I love kind people. Like you're a very kind soul. Ever since the day I met you, I'm just like, man, this guy is the nicest guy, you know. Um, And if you're not, Will, you have me fooled. (laughs) I think you are. Um, I love people who are smart. I've always admired intelligent people, especially those who came from nowhere and, and really made themselves, you know, like they didn't have the opportunities and they took advantage of what they did and they, they went somewhere. Uh, a sense of humor. I'm kind of a jokester, a prankster, um, slightly sarcastic and, uh, humor is good for me. Um, you know, so to me, a sense of humor is very, um, fun, mm-hmm. you know, that, to make people smile, I think is, is a good thing. It helps them relax. Yeah. And I, I really enjoy people who are, are humble, you mm-hmm. know, especially those who are very successful or have achieved some level that yet they still keep themselves like, Hey, you and me are both human and we're here today and it's mm-hmm. a good day. And it doesn't matter where I live or what I drive or mm-hmm. where I vacation or any of those things. It's just that I'm a, I'm a good person and you and I are friends. I, I love people who are humble because I think that's really important you mm-hmm. know, because we all have different, you know, levels of, uh, life. Right. You know, and the whole status thing to me is, you know, not a big deal because really your life is what you make it and the choices you make. And so, yeah, it's great to have money and things, but you know, there are lots of people with money and things that have no happiness. And to me, I would rather be poor and completely happy than rich and, Right. You know, be miserable. Yeah. And unfortunately, I see those people. Um, mm-hmm. I've, I've done some very high-end weddings where people are just not happy. They're not satisfied. It's not good enough. And mm-hmm. you're just like, wow, you just spent $50,000 in one day and you're still not happy. And it's like, what are you going to do when real life hits, you know? And mm-hmm. this is just a fun day, you know? What are you going to do when a really serious day comes? And so, you know, I, I think those, those other things, kindness, humor humbleness, intelligence, keep you from being that person. You know, they, they keep you headed in the right direction, but everybody's got to be themselves. So, you know, we all have different gifts and we all have different traits and acceptance is, is one of those. So, you know, it's, if that works for that person, that's great, you know, but it's, it's got to work for you and and your family and Mm -hmm. of course your partner, significant other, that sort of thing. So do you have good relationships with your siblings? I think I do. Um, we try to, uh, stay connected. Sometimes it's harder than, than others. Mm-hmm. I know, um, like I said, I, you know, I mentioned earlier with the, the death in our families that mm-hmm. that really kind of divided everybody because, um, unfortunately my sister who, who passed away at 47 of cancer, she was kind of the middle child and she was kind of the glue that held everything together. Um, but yet hmm. we still, you know, I'll talk and we still, you know, coexist and, and we're actually all right here in St. Louis too, which oh, is, uh, cool. you know, kind of unusual for a big family to have everybody within, I mean, we're probably all within 50 miles of each other. Yeah. So, um, unfortunately, uh, three of my brothers or two of my brothers, one of my sisters, uh, are now deceased, but, mm-hmm. um, there's still six of us. So, uh, yeah. do, you, do you have times where you ever like all get together or try to at the same time? Sure. Yeah. Usually, yeah. and usually that's a holiday. Okay. Um, yeah. Sometimes it's uh, birthdays for the kids or that sort of thing. Now, right. unfortunately, I miss those. I usually try to make mm-hmm. Thanksgiving and Christmas. Um, usually the, the weekend gatherings. I'm doing you know weddings sometimes 48 Saturdays in a row. So hmm. unfortunately, I, I tend to miss those family gatherings. Sharon attends them. My wife. She tells me how my family's doing. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I still try to keep in touch and you know. Yeah see how everybody's doing. And, and I, you know, I'm still the baby, even though I'll be 55 in October, I'm still the, the baby. Right? right. So it's kind of funny. Yeah. Well, I'm going to kind of combine these last two things. Sure. Um, 
Like, what would you like to see in your own life as far as just ways that you would like to grow or, um, you know, qualities or just wisdom or knowledge you would like to gain or, you know, that type of thing? Sure. I, um, I would like to be a better husband. Mm-hmm. I would like to be a better friend. I think that's important. I would like to be of service. I try to be of service, you know, but I think we could all do more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, I'm uh, donating my services uh, Thursday for a gentleman who has stage four cancer. Oh, really? Who wow. wants to have a party to celebrate his life with his family and friends. Oh, wow. And so I got a call from someone who has hired me in the past and was asking if I could help with this, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm donating, donating my time and service to do that. But, mm. but, um, those kind of things to me are really important being of service. And I think you always, you know, you get what you give, right? So, um, I think the more you give, the more you receive. And I think, uh, the more you give, the more you're aware of what you have and do receive. So I'm kind of big into trying to be of service. Um, I jokingly think I need to be a better listener. I always say God gave me two ears and one mouth. So I should listen twice as much as I talk. Mm -hmm. Uh, in my line of work, sometimes that's hard because I'm an entertainer, mm-hmm. but uh, that's something I'm still working on. Um, you know, I think in the end, I'd like to think I made a difference in this world that, you know, I somehow left it a little bit better than when I arrived, that I've, you know, touched some people's lives and hopefully in a, in a, in a positive way. And I guess if I had a message, you know, for anybody out there that might be listening, and if you are, thank you very much, um, don't be afraid to change. You know, change comes hard to all of us, but don't be afraid. Um, You know, don't ever give another person a situation or a thing the power to control your real estate between your ears. And a wise man told me that a long time ago. And and we do that as humans. You know, we let what other people do and say affect our brain, our mind. You know, we give them control of that space. It's the most valuable piece of real estate that we've all been given. It's right between our ears, you know. And, And if you... And if you lose control of that, then suddenly, you know, what's going to happen? Who knows, right? So why even go there? You know what I mean? Just try not to give people control of your mind, you know, meaning don't let what they say or do affect you to the point of they're manipulating you, you know, that you have still the final say of what happens with you and and make good choices. Um, And, you know, the the last thing, you know, I'd like to share is that if if you really need help, seek it. You know, if you're struggling with something, whether it's an addiction or whatever, seek help. Don't be afraid. You know, don't be afraid to change because a lot of times we think we're the only ones. We, we live in this little bubble in our own little world and we feel like, hey, we're the only one that's dealing with this. And when you get out there and you seek that help, you'll find that there are thousands of people dealing with the same exact things. And when you can relate to that via conversations Uh, with those people, you'll find that it makes you feel better and you'll probably help them as well. And so by seeking that help and that guidance, um, you're, you're giving and receiving, you know what I mean? So you're helping that person. Hopefully they're helping you, but it also keeps you from the isolation, you know? So if you truly need help, anybody out there, especially for anybody who might hear this, that has, you know, maybe an alcohol issue, I'm here, you know, Will has my information. If you're a friend of Will's, you can get my phone, email, whatever through him and we'll connect and we'll talk. And it's not to, um, change you or to, uh, push you in a direction. It's merely to explain what I did and what I had to do to make myself a better person. And that in turn, hopefully might give you some clarification and understanding of what it is and what you need to do. Mm-hmm. And, and, and to me, the information is the key, you know, you still got to want to change, you know, and most people want to do the same thing. And expect a different result, which is truly insanity. You know, that's the definition, doing the same thing, expecting a different result. But I think if you are willing to change, you'll find that your life can be so different and so incredible. And there are people out there who will help you. And a lot of times that help is free. So you don't have to go pay for it. You know, it's it's out there. You know, you just got to seek it out and you got to really want it. But, um, but yeah, so. Yeah. That's kind of who I am in a nutshell. Yeah. And what's the most um, satisfying part of your daily or your weekly routine? Or is there anything that comes to mind as far as like just what you really enjoy? For sure. Yeah. So when I do a wedding, which I do almost every week, Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, that, that starts a year in advance almost. Um, depends on when they hire me, six months, nine months, sometimes a year. And, uh, you know, so you're doing all this work, these phone calls, these emails, these preparation. On the day of, it's still a lot of prep work to get, you know, all the music ready, get all the files ready, get all the paperwork ready. But then when it finally comes to doing it, you know, when it's like, okay, now I am here to do what they've hired me to do and prove to these people that I am worthy and taking care of them. And then you see the reward of your work, you know. Um, for you, it's probably that those photographs that you share. And they're like, oh, my God, well, this is so beautiful, you know. And so the same kind of thing. But me, it's that 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 music, you know. It's it's driving the night, whether it's cocktail music, dinner music, whether it's announcements, whether it's, um, you know, a toast or a speech or a prayer. Um, lots of so many good things that come into play to make a great wedding. And when you've done that and it's worked and it's awesome and the bride and groom come up and hug you and thank you and kiss you and then down the road they refer you and then you see them again. And now, you know, years down the road where I did a wedding out in St. Charles, there were 11 couples there that I DJed for. And the couple that had been married the longest was telling me that their daughter was graduating from college, which meant, you know, they got married 23 years ago. And I'm just like, wow, that's crazy. You know, so you don't really think about it, but that's a huge reward for me. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, Sunday's like my Sunday fun day, because usually I'm, a lot of times I'll do a wedding on Friday, sometimes on, on Saturday, uh, mm-hmm. or mostly on Saturday, I'm sorry, sometimes on Friday. And then occasionally a Sunday, but usually Sunday fun day is when I spend with my wife. And that's very rewarding because we get to kind of chill and hang out. And uh, we do ice cream Sunday. So, oh, you? you know, yeah, that's my, my cheat day on mm-hmm. my diet. Um, which for the younger folks, I know that doesn't really matter. You don't have to worry about that so much. For us older folks, as you know, yeah, uh, once you get beyond 40, your your body changes. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so ice cream is our, our Sunday fun day. And uh, we, we tend to do that almost every Sunday, pretty much. Yeah. Um, well, Jimmy, how can people get a hold of you? Like, do you want to give out your website or, and that type of thing? Yeah, sure. So it's uh, A Rock and DJ. And so it's www.arockindj.com. And uh, you can find some great information about me there. There's a contact form. Um, you can Google my name, Jimmy Hussey, or Rock and DJ Jimmy Hussey. It should come up. Um, you'll have my contact phone number there, which is 636-519-1964. My cell is 314-570-9192. You can call or text me there. And my email address is arockindj at hotmail.com. And that is A-R-O-C-K-I-N-D-J at hotmail.com. So, like I said, if, if you have a, a need... Whether it's, you know, a DJ or not, uh, maybe you want to talk alcoholism, maybe you want to talk something you heard about in here that you like, whatever, feel free to reach out. I'm, I'm happy to help anybody that I can. So a lot of folks have helped me in my life to get here. And, uh, you know, I feel very blessed to be sitting with you here today. And, uh, and for those of you who don't know well, you should. He's a very kind soul and he's a great man. And um, I've always been very impressed with him as a human. So... Um, I hope you listen to this and get something out of it. Well, thanks, Jimmy. I've been impressed with you, too. Yeah, well, you're a good guy. We're going to hug it out when we get off the air here. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you. Thanks for being here. It's my pleasure. Have a great day.